Hi, team. Welcome to the Conscious Curriculum Podcast, the deepest and dopest podcast for folks who believe that education can change the world. I'm your host, Miriam Rachel Freed. My intention is to share, build, and propel a vision and strategy of collective healing and repair through meaningful education and embodied practice. Like all of us, I am a human shaped by my unique life experience, and I'm limited to my own perspectives through the lens of my worldview. I'm always striving to learn and grow, so if you ever feel that I've missed something or caused harm, please don't hesitate to let me know. If you like today's episode, please help our community grow and review, comment, or share. If you're looking to get involved in the conversation, you can find my contact information and a link to the free Conscious Curriculum community inside the show description. Thank you for being here and for your commitment to justice and liberation for all. Now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to Conscious Curriculum. I am so excited to introduce Soleil Sabalja. Soleil has been in education for 11 years, teaching high school English in China for two years, and for the past nine years has been back in New York City, working with high school students learning English and students with special needs. This year, she's also teaching and creating a brand new high school course called Environmental Activism. Inspired by community organizing around racial justice movements in 2020, Soleil founded Nasty New Yorkers as an aggregate community group for environmental activism where people could go to have a one-stop shop for learning about local community cleanups, uplifting local community organizations in particularly underserved and underfunded communities. Her organization was recently published in Caribbean Life News. In that same year of 2020, she was also a FLAG Award for Teaching Excellence finalist, which is an award that recognizes and celebrates extraordinary public school teachers in New York City who inspire learning through creativity, passion, and commitment. Soleil seamlessly weaves environmental activism into her work as an educator, into her social world, and her personal life. She's a dear friend and inspiration to me, and I'm so excited to have her on the show. Soleil, welcome. I'm seriously so excited to be with you too because you're my inspiration. I'm like very excited for this. <laughs> um, all right. So first would just love to hear about your story. I have always felt really passionate about environmentalism and making change, but never in a formal way where I would ever call myself an activist. I didn't think I was an activist until maybe last year when somebody called me an activist. And I was like, I had to think about it. I was like, wait, I'm an activist, but I'm not like a famous person. I'm not doing huge things. I'm just on my own doing little things here and there or living a specific lifestyle um, trying to encourage friends to be the best versions of themselves when it comes to environmentalism as well. And then it hit me like, oh, I could, I could capture my passion with what I do in education and combine these two things. And I could inspire the youth and I can inspire the future change makers to also become passionate about making changes and environmentalism and becoming activists. I'll name this like a lot of the communities that I'm 
connected to when it comes to environmental activism talk a lot about the sort of ominous fear that people are in. And from your energy, that's never, not that that doesn't exist for you. It's never anything that I feel from you. You are like an action taker and a go-getter. And I would just love to hear like from the beginning of your environmental learnings to the activism and true active life around environmentalism that you're living now, what has that story and journey been like for you? I've been thinking a lot recently about one of my original inspirations um, once I started um, Nasty New Yorkers, which was John Lewis. Mm. And um, he kind of inspired me in this way to like not be scared of what could potentially happen. Um and I say this only because my my go-to spot that I clean up all the time is under the Brooklyn Bridge. And hopefully nobody hears this and gets me in trouble. But it's currently completely uh, closed off to construction that's happening along the East River. Um, and I don't care. I will do whatever it takes to literally get into this area under the Brooklyn Bridge that is sandy. Um, because it is filthy. Every time I go there, I will leave with at least 10 pounds of trash. And I, in the past, when it hasn't been closed off, I would usually go two or three times a week. I would run down from my apartment. I would, no problem, just hop over a little fence, clean it up and go. I have been yelled at multiple times by the parks officers and threatened to have getting, to be getting arrested. Um, And now it's at the point it's all closed off with no trespassing signs. And I'm literally crawling under fences, through fences, over fences to get into this area to clean it up. So that brings me back to John Lewis, you know, like I am not letting anything stop me because I know that what I'm doing is worth it Mm. regardless if it can get me in trouble, regardless if I can get a fine, regardless if someone's going to threaten to arrest me. Um, I have seen baby geese who are born right under that area, under the Brooklyn Bridge on this sandy beach. They eat the styrofoam that floats up there. I've seen it with my own eyes. I have videos of it and it's, it's horrifying. It's terrible. So I continue to do whatever it takes and to go there that area up because I don't want to see the small amount of wildlife that we have here in New York City um, get sick from eating plastic because they're confusing it as food. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's just like my one main place is that one little area. Um, it's super neglected. Nobody goes there. I I see the baby geese every spring. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like my little place. Yeah. Um, but there are tons of other things that I'm trying to um, work with. I'm working not only with the community garden in my neighborhood, but I'm working with the community garden at my school. I am getting my students involved in um, taking care of the tree beds all along our block at school. We're going to get ready to plant our three sisters garden, and we're going to be hoping for a harvest in the fall. Amazing. Um, So um, learning a little bit more about gardening in 
the summers as a teacher, since I have time off, I spend time working on an organic farm in Ibiza. And I also work on a um, completely run by solar energy catamaran that sails around the island of Ibiza, um, picking up trash. So not only do I get to be in the most beautiful island in that I've ever been to, but I get to do my favorite thing and, mm. and clean ocean so um again combining passions is it, it's that's for me that's kind of been like my biggest thing so those are those are a few of the things that um I'm involved with and yeah. you also organize other like cl- local cleanups and clothing swaps on your own and you have these hot yep. pink bags with black polka dots yep. yes the trash project gotta always give a shout out to the trash project um, cool. my friend Harlem Adrian, he's an amazing artist and he runs this um, trash project with hot pink trash bags and black polka dots to bring awareness to um, the trash problem. And so he always helps sponsor my uh, cleanups with his garbage bags to bring more awareness Um, because I always try to focus my cleanups in areas that are neglected by the city. So typically places... um, Right now, where I'm focusing on in Lower East Side, the area where I've got a cleanup coming up with my council member, my local council member, Chris Marte, down here, mm-hmm. um, it's in the local public housing areas because the street uh, clean, the street sweepers don't actually clean our neighborhood down here. So mm-hmm. if you go to um, the new luxury buildings that are being built, the street tr- uh, street sweepers always go by there. But you go a couple of blocks down to public housing and the I've seen it because during COVID, when I was working from home, I'd go down there and those they never, never went down there. Wow. Um, and so those areas are typically neglected. So we focus when we do cleanups, we focus on those neighborhoods and yeah. um, Adrian and the trash product has been amazing sponsors um, with their bags and their resources and the materials and helping us, uh, clean up those neglected neighborhoods. Can you talk more about the things that you do every day? At the moment right now, I am, um, a special educator. I'm a learning specialist in a ninth grade science classroom. And, um, I'm working with a group of students as well, um, who are coming out of, for those familiar with special education, they're coming out of the eighth grade, 12 to one to one, which is the most inclusive special education setting where they're in, um, a class with 12 students and one teacher and one, um, paraprofessional for a class. And they are now in ninth grade and they're transitioning to integrated co-teaching classes, for all their course subjects. And unfortunately, this group of students, um, because of that transition, they're not um, able to have science classes um, because it's too many classes in their teaching load. So um, I teach a class to these students and it's um, essentially just a study hall period, but I'm incorporating science skills to help build their science skills um, on Fridays. So we call it fun Fridays. And so what I've essentially done is figured out ways to encourage hands-on um, educational practices to build their science skills, but also while incorporating environmentalist skills as well. 
Cool. So for instance, we are growing baby oysters in our classroom with the Billion Oyster Project. Cool. So the students love that. Um, they're very excited about that. We've been able to collaborate with a couple different organizations. We're getting ready to go to Governor's Island next month and work in the field with oysters. And again, this isn't a science class. I'm just trying to encourage building science skills so that the students are prepared um, and also so that they have fun and to expose them to more exciting activities. Yeah. So that's just one of the classes I do. Um, And Last semester, I was able to teach a course that I created after taking a class at NYU. So the class I took was environmental education. And my final project, I had to create a a curriculum, a course, um, any activity that I'd eventually try to implement. And so I came up with this idea of creating this environmental activism course that was totally focused on um, problems and solutions. So we would focus, um, my favorite project that we did was focusing on cafeteria waste in my school. So we spent time down at the cafeteria collecting data, watching what was going on during lunch with, with the class. So the students would um, see how the students were throwing out their waste. They would interview the cafeteria staff. They would interview the students. They um, they even were very inspired by um, a guest that came in to speak to us who does trash walks. Mm-hmm. And so we went out and we did our own little trash walk at our school. We went looking in the trash bags and the students found a bag of probably like a hundred peaches that were just thrown out. Mm. And they were so shocked by that, that that's really what like turned the gears for them. They were furious. They couldn't believe that there was so much food being thrown out from our school Mm. when their students who go to our school and go home hungry or who need food in our community. Um, So that inspired them to come up with the solution. Um, Obviously, the problem was not only is the food getting thrown away and going to a landfill, not even getting composted, but there is also this environmental justice, justice aspect that also gets incorporated into this, that we serve a community, a local community that's living in public housing. And, um, you know, they could be using and receiving this food, not only for themselves, but for their family, for their younger siblings, for their grandparents, for their family members, but instead we're throwing it out. So again, the students were really inspired when they saw that in in a shocking way. And they came up with the idea of um, uh, pitching to our admin to get a community fridge in the cafeteria. And the admin loved the idea. They the students had to present to the um, to the to the school leadership team, to the parent association. They got the funding for the for the refrigerator right away. And now we have a community fridge set up in our school. And Yeah. And we have saved probably close to 400 recoverable items from our school cafeteria that have either gone directly to students while they're hungry during the school day or on Fridays after school, whatever's in the fridge, we usually bring it to the local community fridge a couple blocks from our our school. So not only are we saving the food from going to the landfill and contributing to, to, to carbon emissions, but we are, are, we're helping the community by getting food that otherwise they might not have. 
I'm so inspired by that. I think it's making me think about the way we think about project-based learning. And this is another, if you're an educator, you're very familiar with that term. There's a lot of, there are a lot of schools who are piloting project-based learning initiatives. And my perpetual push when I hear about these projects is like, what is the, what is the direct impact? Like what solution are we solving? We have an army of young people who want to make the world a better place and they're ready to, as your story shows. And it's really amazing that you've brought that to life in your community. If what I was doing, I didn't even realize that I was an activist and I figured, why not combine these two things? Like I could literally live my passion every day at Mm. work with the people that I love work, which are young people. So thinking about you as the learner, when you think about what moments, what organizations, what connections have been most impactful in deepening and inspiring your understanding? I personally, as a learner, I feel like I didn't really take education serious um, until I finally studied abroad in my freshman year of college. I studied abroad in Mexico. And I went to do a volunteer project with a group. We went to an orphanage in Mexico and um, I saw these kids that had really nothing and they were in school so excited to learn. And I was kind of having this privileged American college life and not really maximizing it when these other kids didn't have that same um, privilege and they didn't have the same resources, but they were maximizing what they had to the limit. They were so happy, so excited to be in school, so thankful. And it just like something clicked inside of me. And I was just like, I need to take things more serious. And that semester mm. opened like no other, you know, mm. I also, while studying abroad and that semester in Mexico was just so incredible. Um, not only was I living with a Mexican family who really took me in, I, I learned Spanish. I felt so welcomed in the community that I was living in. Um, but the classes were just so inspiring. So I was in an anthropology class and I'll never forget one day my professor called me and he was like, we're not going to go, um, to university today for class. They're working on the roads in town and they just dug up an Aztec sacrificial altar. So we're going to go and have class. Yeah. He was like, we're going to go and have class and watch them as they're digging out this altar that's never been like discovered before. Wow. Yeah. And that was my class. And I was just eating all this up. So, you know, learning from these kids in the orphanage and having opportunities to like learn outside of the classroom. That's what really kind of sparked me um, to explore and enjoy education more and um, like allowing students opportunities to learn outside of the classroom. That's kind of what really, for me, sparked my interest in my love for learning. And, yeah. and I'm more hands-on learner. So yeah, um, similar to what you were saying before, project-based learning, that's how I am as a learner. Like that's yes. what I want to do as a learner. And that's yes. what's fun for me. Um, so I guess I also try to think of that with my students and with their learning styles. 
I want to pique their interest. I want them to be excited about learning because one of the big things that I, I noticed with young people today is they're always wondering, why do I have to learn this? This has nothing to do with my life. I'm never going to use this again. I'm never going to need this in my entire life. I want to provide them with a class where they are going to use these skills because they're they're learning leadership skills. They're learning how to give presentations. They're learning how to to problem solve. They're they have to they have to find a problem. They have to create their own solution. They have to fund for the money. They have to implement their solution, and then they have to maintain the solution. My yeah. students who create community fridge, they're there every day, making sure that it's clean, making sure that there's no old food. And these kids are incredible. They're amazing kids doing amazing things. Yeah. Um, I, I just gave them the platform and the opportunity to like rise to it and to, to become these, to have the opportunity to, to, to bloom. Feel it. Thinking about your kids, if you were to reimagine kind of the structure of education, how might you see it differently? So I'm really lucky right now to be teaching within the consortium here in New York City. So um, my students don't have to take standardized testing, state testing. I don't know what the consortium means. So the consortium is essentially um, a group of schools that are, that are not taking the state exams, which are the regions, to, in order yeah. to graduate. Got but it. they participate in EBATs, which are project-based assessment tests. Essentially, okay. it, it's not – they're just um, these huge projects that they spend a long time in math, science, and social studies yeah. working on. They do their own research, they collect their own data, and then they have to present and they have to pass the presentation. So they write a a long research paper that goes with their presentation. They do this usually between 11th and 12th grade. Um, This is instead of taking a regent's exam. Um, And so I guess I... I'm very lucky to be in a school where we are not doing we are yeah. not students to take these state exams in yeah. order to graduate. So we have a lot more flexibility. And because we have that flexibility, I have opportunities to come up with creative ideas and opportunities for project-based learning to get the kids out of the classroom and yeah. to, to do because these will also be beneficial skills for their project-based assessments that they're eventually going to need to do in order to graduate. It sounds like one of your biggest pushes for public schools right now is that we kind of like drop the high stakes public testing. A hundred percent. Because I think what ends up happening is a lot of teachers feel the need to prepare the kids for the test or teach their curriculum. They teach they teach for the tests. They don't have opportunities to do certain things that might be more beneficial for the students or that the students might enjoy more or that might pique more passion or interest from the students because they're busy preparing for usually these state exams, which are mostly multiple choice questions and, you know, cause so much anxiety for students. Yeah. And not so connected to real life. Exactly. What do you think 
is the most important thing that young people learn right now. And I'd ask, like, put your environmental activist hat on. Coming off of the pandemic and right now, the biggest thing I'm really seeing and that I know a lot of my coworkers as well are that we're all kind of struggling with I want to be able to support my students better in their social emotional health right now. Um, They're very emotional and delicate and tender. And um, there are a lot of students who are really struggling with so many things. And I want to, I want to be able to better equip them with their own tools and their own toolbox um, to be able to better, uh, to regulate their own emotions and and really to be able to support themselves, to advocate for themselves, to advocate for their emotions, to know when they need to take a break, to know how to then um, de-escalate if their emotions are building too high. Yeah. Um, that kind of seems as something that's like super um, in the front of my head right now. Uh, today, we also kind of had like a, a bit of a rough day at school. There was a very um, big test that was kind of difficult. And so, you know, I left work with a lot of tears and emotions and students were very overwhelmed. Mm. Um, so again, like when I think about that, yeah. I want to create classes and environments for my students to learn where they're not feeling that way, where they're feeling like they don't even have time to think about those things because their hands are busy. Their hands are maybe in the dirt. They're they're thinking about whether or not their their peas are going to grow or the tomatoes are sprouting. Or Mm. um, I want them to be thinking about um, what could they do to make our school a better place? Or what could they do to make their community more green or the air fresher? Or I want them to be thinking about these other things because if if I can get their minds somewhere else and their energy focusing on how they can help in this other way, I think that they're going to feel better yeah. when they see they're making this impact. Yeah. You know, you are directly positively benefiting the other people in your community or that are directly in your in your sphere. Yeah. You can better when you see that. A story that just came in for me that I know I've shared with you once. The the first time I remember on my own cleaning up trash was the day I found out that a colleague of mine who I taught with for four years had passed away. And I was like at a meeting place, which was right by a body of water. And I just like wasn't ready to go into the meeting and was just up and down the like the riverfront doing whatever I could to literally like feel better. And so it's a really beautiful, I'm I'm like thinking about your students and the social emotional needs of our young people. And I'm thinking about like our collective need and like the social emotional need of the adults also, and how repairing it is for our like psyche to help literally like heal the planet. And I, yeah, that's coming in and hearing all of what you do and the movement that you make. And it's just so inspiring. 
doing cleanups and picking up trash is actually weirdly therapeutic. Yeah. I don't think people realize sometimes, you know, like especially in in very dirty areas when you see this area is really dirty and then you can clean it and five minutes later be like, wow, I not only did a great job, like I did something, the earth is a cleaner place, my neighborhood place. And sometimes you might even get lucky and people walking by will come up and say, thank you. And then you feel even better. Like, yeah. People are appreciating me. Yeah. Like it really can boost your mood. And, yeah. and that's really a good thing to keep in mind too. If you could offer any piece of advice to educators who want to move work similarly to the way that you're moving it, what what would you say to them? Don't be scared. Like take mm-hmm. the risk, the chance. Really when it comes down to it is just believe in yourself and know that what you, what you're working towards is really worth it because the people it's helping are our students and they're the most important. They're our clients when you think of it. And um, we, what's the best way to serve them? Best way to serve them is to make sure that they're succeeding, that they're happy, that they're healthy, that they're calm. I want to provide opportunities for the students to take leadership ownership to feel proud to feel accomplished to feel confident to feel good if we also as passionate educators who care about the environment um we believe in ourselves we believe in the cause we are passionate about it when you're passionate about it you can get everyone around you passionate about it too yeah what advice do you have for young people right now Follow your passions, Mm. um, whether it's in the arts, whether it's in environmentalism, whether it's in singing, whatever it is, do what you love, do what you love and, and be happy while you do it. Um, life is too short to be doing things that you don't like. So I think finding things that you like and just exploring them is is huge. How can people connect with you? Follow your work, get involved with nasty New Yorkers. <laughs> um so people could follow me on Instagram at nasty New Yorkers. Right now I am planning this huge event coming up next week and it's how our school's going to be celebrating Earth Month. So unfortunately we couldn't organize it to be in April, so it's going to be in May, but um I have coordinated over 15 different organizations and groups throughout New York City to come to our school and set up like mini lessons and mini activities and tabling events for our students. And we're calling it the Eastside Eco Fest. Um, And so we're going to have a community cleanup. We're going to be doing tours of the community garden. We've got um, a sustainable art project. We're going to have an eco rapper giving performance and teaching our students how to write their own raps. Amazing. Um, we're going to have a worm compost box. Mm. Uh, we're going to planting. We're going to have a clothing swap. So the school's having their clothing swap. Some of our students who make their own sustainable jewelry are going to be selling their jewelry. Um, So that has been like a big, big project that I've been working on. And I'm very, very excited about that. 
Amazing. Um, I have a community cleanup coming up soon. I'm trying to um, do some regular clothing swaps as well. We're going to be doing clothing swaps with the uh, organization Grow NYC. We're going to be focusing at some local um, elementary schools in the Lower East Side. Amazing. Um, but yeah, I post everything on Instagram and always love having new volunteers and people coming and helping out. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you for And you know what? I know I told you this before, but I do want to say it again because you seriously inspire me like you can't imagine. Um, But I listen to your podcast in the morning before I go to work and I almost feel like it's, um, you know, an athlete before maybe a sporting event will, Mm -hmm. will listen to song that like pumps them up to get ready for the game you know like they're they're getting ready to go into the big big game I listen to your podcast like that and Mm. your podcast inspires me so much Mm. it pumps me up and gets me started for my day to like go into work and to have this positive mentality and to know that there is a community of people out there who feel the same and who want to make amazing curriculum and to really help inspire young people. So I want to say thank you to you for, (laughs) yeah, because you are really like doing great things. And, Mm. uh, and I'm just so happy to be here to, to share this moment with you. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for being here. That's a wrap for this week. Make sure you hit the follow button to stay up to date on episodes. And before you go, take a moment to share this episode with your favorite game changer colleague or friend. If you're interested to join community or connect, my information is linked inside the show description. And if you haven't yet left a five-star review, please do. This helps our show and message spread to people who need to hear it. Thank you again. And I'll talk to you next episode.